Um, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. If I've not met you yet, I'm lead teaching pastor. I'm excited to be up here with you today. Hey, congratulations on making it here through the time change. Snow, ice couldn't hold you back. Not even losing an hour of sleep could hold you back. So thank you. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 10 or your app. If you're using an app, that's going to be the passage that's going to help us uh, see Jesus more clearly today. And listen, if you were here and you're not even sure about Jesus, we're going to put these up on the screen for you, and we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming and just checking it out. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. How comfortable really? I mean, be honest. Don't say it out loud. Just in your head. Answer in your head. How comfortable are you at the feet of Jesus? I mean, really at the feet of Jesus. And when I say the feet of Jesus... What I mean is that place where we stop doing and we start listening. That place where adoration occurs, where we're fascinated with our king, we're fixated on him, we're adoring him, we're trusting, we're depending. No one's around, it's just you. That place at the feet of Jesus. If you were to rank it on a scale of one to ten, where would it be for you? Just think for a minute. How comfortable are you? pausing your busy life to just stop, to just stop, stop everything, just phase it all out and just exist and sit and listen, because I know what we're supposed to say to that question, I know what we're supposed to say, but if we were to dig behind all of the programmed and fake answers, what does your heart really want to say? Because I think for most of us, this is from my personal experience and from my experience with talking to others, We're not very comfortable at all there. In fact, we're very awkward. Awkward in our own skin even. Kind of like at a high school dance. Not really sure what we're supposed to be doing. Not really sure what we're supposed to be saying. But everybody swears it's a great place to be, so we just go expecting it to be great. It never really is. And the thing about awkward places is we usually run away from them. We don't run to them. When we find a place that is awkward and difficult, we usually are chased away from that and not towards it. In fact, I think whenever we're at a place where we're not comfortable and we're not confident, all it takes is a little bit of a distraction, a little diversion to get us away, especially at the feet of Jesus. I've noticed this. Have you ever sat down before the Word of God? Have you ever been there and and, uh, said, this is going to be my time? Maybe you call it a devotional. I've heard some of you call it a quiet time. Whatever you call it, whatever that moment is where you are just sitting at the feet of your king, Does something else come up and divert and distract you to doing something else? It's a great time to get your calendar in order, isn't it? I really need to work on my calendar right now. I need to clip my toenails. I need to work on the gutter. I need to clean my desk. I need to think about things. It's easy, easy to be diverted. At this time in history, I don't think it's been any... I think this is probably the easiest time in the the, the timeline of mankind to be distracted and diverted away from the feet of Jesus. In 1996, I bought my first pager, right? And I think it was about the size of this. I was clipping this on earlier, and I thought, that's about right, right there. Bought my first pager. And it's not because I was awesome or I needed it. I didn't need it very much. And when I say I didn't need it very much, it means I didn't need it at all. But I wanted to look cool and important. I wanted to look like I was a sports agent or something for 60 bucks a month. You can get one of these and clip it on your belt. So I had this brown weave leather belt you know, and then as my polos were tucked into my khakis, I could sport this thing just as big as Dallas on the side of my belt so everybody could see. 
And all it would do is beep. It would just beep. And that was a big distraction for me. That was the biggest distraction. Someone would be talking and it would beep. And I'd say, oh, excuse me a minute. Look at my pager to see a number. Okay, go ahead and continue. It's not that important. It's not as important as you talking to me right now. The pager just doesn't do very much. If my college roommates wanted me to grab a VHS from Blockbuster or a pizza on the way home, they might put 911 on the end of the text to let me know it was really important for me to call them back. The times have changed. And I know I'm sounding a lot like everybody's father in the room when I say times have changed, but have they not changed as far as distractions are concerned? Never before in the human race, never before in our time on this planet has it been easier to distract us using our four senses. I mean, it's super easy. Think about entertainment. Think about social media. Entertainment specifically. Entertainment's interesting, right? If you look next, yeah, this is March, April. April 2015 is when the Oculus Rift is going to be launched for just all of us if we wanted to buy one, right? Facebook bought Oculus Rift from a 22-year-old for $2 billion. Billion with a B. Because now in entertainment, we are able to separate ourselves from all of the reality that we're living. I mean, now it's totally encompassing our sight. It's virtual reality that takes away our hearing. I mean, we are locked in an alternate universe. As much as we want to be distracted, we can be. That's just entertainment. Think about social media and how that's shrinking the globe, right? I mean, we're connected to people we know. We're connected to people we don't know for good or for bad. I mean, there's a thing right now called social media addiction or social media dysfunction. There are people that simply cannot click the little button that says log out. They can't do it. It's, it's really sad. I mean, they just, there's a deep fear running. And some of you might have it, by the way. There's a deep fear running inside that if I click log out, I will not see what brilliant bit of wisdom is about to be posted. I might miss something super important. Something might happen, and I won't be a part of it. I won't be connected to it. So no one logs out. They just stay logged in. There's a lot of fear there. I think most of you are younger than me than older than me. I mean, I'm 39. As of last month, I'm 39 years old. And as a young couple, I think we'd been married for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, two years. I came home to my wife, I think it was around 1999, with my very first cell phone. It was the Motorola StarTac. Did anyone any, raise your hand if you had the StarTac before for Motorola? Yeah, some of you are lying. <laughs> You're lying. Now, that did not have caller ID on it because most cell phones didn't. So I put that next to my pager. I had two things on my belt. I had my pager for Motorola and I had my StarTac. And all that thing did was ring. And listen, you didn't know who was calling you. It would just ring and you would pick it up. And I was so excited to have that thing. And I found ways to be distracted with that, right? My wife thought it was so stupid. It was a lot longer before she got her, her cell phone. It was in that same year that the internet was brand new. I mean, I think it was around by 93, 94, it started to really make its waves. But I did the research, and in 1999, only 26% of the American public was using the internet. Back then, everyone called it the World Wide Web, right? One out of four of you were using the World Wide Web in 1999. And now listen, email was a thing, but nobody was using it. <laughs> Because you didn't have anyone to email because nobody was using it, right? So you could use email, but you did not use email. That's the way it worked. There's no Kindle, no apps, no Netflix, no YouTube, 
No me clicking on like because you liked something I said and something that you posted and tagged me in. None of that was going on. All of that was just a glimmer in the eyes of, of the brightest people. It just, none of it was true. None of it was there for us to be distracted by. Our cars didn't even have settings to adjust. We had knobs and cranks. Didn't have screens and buttons. It was a different time. But never before now, I mean, never before now, now in human history, the church is more distracted than it has ever been. The church. Even the church. Kevin DeYoung who wrote a book called Crazy Busy. He did an interview with the Gospel Coalition, and in this interview, he said a statement that I thought was pretty profound, and I had, to, I had to chew on it for a minute. He said, more Christians have been killed by busyness and distraction than by bullets. Think about that. How does that make you feel? I mean, he's, not obvious, he's obviously not talking about death, literal death, but he is talking about vitality. He's talking about spiritual connection to our King, to our Lord. He is talking about vitality. Now listen, a distracted heart did not start with your cell phone. And it didn't come around with Pinterest either. Distracted hearts are as old as the sun. As long as there has been humans walking on this planet, as long as we have called this place home, our hearts have always craved distractions, diversions, from finding ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And the text we're going to look at today, I think is going to help us see this. Some of you have read this text a lot because you find yourself very quickly in it, but in Luke 10 and verse 38, Jesus finds himself in Bethany, which is a small village, and he's with a family that he eventually develops a, a deep relationship with. And in verse 38, it says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Okay, now, you, gotta, you can't just read that. I mean, we've all been there. You have to read it with the inflection. You know what she's going through. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. But then the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What I love about this is it shows us a picture of two postures that were not just true back then, but they are very true today. We have always had those who strive and those who sit. Strivers and sitters. And I wished Mary could be here to preach this to you today, but she couldn't make it. You get Martha instead, okay? I am Martha, and I've tried really hard, and it's difficult as a pastor trying to lead a bunch of Marthas, because I know you are too, to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary. Much harder is convincing a city that the feet of Jesus is the best place in the world to be when it's hard for a lot of us to find that place ourselves. In fact, a lot of us haven't seen it in 6.2 weeks. It's difficult for us, isn't it, as a church? Even when I was putting this together, it was ironic I'm sitting there attempting to meditate, locking out the world, praying for God to show me what the feet of Jesus has felt like at different points in my life and remembering and meditating on it. And then my phone beeps because the operating system is updating. Some of you have Androids, your system just updated. And I thought, ooh, an update. So I grab the phone and I'm looking and I'm scrolling. What are the new changes? Do I get new fonts? Is it going to work better? Did they work this one problem out and that one problem out? Totally distracted. 30 minutes later, 
I put the phone down and realize how easy it is to be distracted. We're distracted people. We're all like this. Focused on the Lord, thinking about people, thinking about the gospel. Squirrel, squirrel. There's the distractions of the world popping out. Your wife needs something, your husband needs something, your phone's going off, your computer's stinging, something, something. It's easy to be distracted. So I do feel disqualified to preach this because I'm not Mary, but I feel totally qualified to preach this because you're not either. We're all Marthas. I've loved this series that we've been in, and we're actually on the back side of it called We Are Different. The idea behind it is that we're very different from God. We're very different from each other. We're very different from the city outside, right? But what the gospel does is it comes and it radically reshapes all of those alignments. And where we were very different and separate from God, he collects us unto himself as family. And where we are very irreconcilably different from each other, he collects us together as a people, a church. And when we're very different from a city and a culture, he launches us out there with the one message that is worth telling. And we're different people. I'm very different from some of you, and you're very different from the person sitting next to you. And we've talked about how some of you are angry. We've talked about how, how some of you are anxious. Some of you bleed all over the place. Some of you are scared. Some of you have pasts and scars. Some of you are legalistic. And some of you are very distracted, over busy. It's a good, it's a good text for us. And every time I read it, I get Martha. Don't you get Martha? Just reading it just now, I want to jump in the story and plead her case. I just want to jump in and say, but, but okay, but Jesus, okay, okay, but I mean, come on, she's just sitting there. I mean, she didn't even help open the door. She's just sitting there being Mary. I mean, cut her a break. I mean, Mary might be in the best place, of course, but no one's eating unless Martha's doing what Martha does, Right? I mean, if the Marthas of the world just stopped being Martha, then the Marys of the world wouldn't have all this time given to them to just sit at the, at the feet of Jesus. There was no Marthas. I feel her pain. Trying to do great stuff. Trying to do hard work. As the Marys of the world just skulk and slink around, writing love poems, practicing their get-out-of-work speech. Don't you see how the heart, how the human heart reacts to a, a Mary? How a Martha, how they see a Mary, probably thought, you're just mooching off the parents. All the stuff in your house is probably all mildewed, can't cook, can't iron your own clothes. Because you're Mary. Of course you're at the feet of Jesus. Of course you're not lifting a finger, because you're Mary. That's what the Martha heart does. That's what my crooked heart does. She has all the cares of the world choking her out. Martha has all the concerns of the world smothering her in this moment because there's much to be done, much to be distracted with, much to be over busy with, much to do, much to prove, much to provide, much to enact, much to change. And the truth is, as one Martha talking to other Marthas, we kind of prefer it that way. Isn't it easier to serve God than just to shut up and be silent and just adore and be fixed at his feet? It's easier to do stuff for him than just to be ministered to by him. It's easier. It's easier. Jesus' point in this little story is not that a contemplative life is better than an active life. It's not. It's not that 
scholastic study and learning is better than hospitality either. What this is, is this is a story on priorities. It's a lesson on priorities, okay? I think this is important for us to hear because traditionally, I think a lot of us have grown up thinking that any time is a great time to stop all activity and just sit and be in solitude, that any time is good to do that. No matter what time of day it is, no matter what's going on around you, that it's always okay to just stop everything and find the feet of Jesus and lock the world out. It's not what he's saying here. There's a time to work. Hey, listen, there's a time to work hard to the glory of God. And this is a different sermon entirely. I I can't even get there now. But that is not what he is saying. There is a time to be active and not be still. There's a time to put down the guitar and the prayer journals and take your wife on a date parent your kids. I mean, students, I mean, hear me, because I mean what I'm about to say. There's a time to shut your Bible and open your biology book. Okay? I'm going to explain that a little bit later. That made some of you cringe, and that's good. Okay? I'm going to explain what I mean a little bit later. You see, this is where the monastic world went wrong. The monastic world from hundreds of years ago, they had a hard time reconciling the sacred and the secular. Those were always two different things. What that means is is the physical world and the secular world was just carnal, and it was horrible, and you, you had to distance yourself from it and focus your life on what was spiritual, what was ethereal, what was unseen. That's why you would read about monks starving themselves, sleeping in the cold, because anything that made their body feel good, they would say no to because it symbolized evil to them, right? So no to the secular things, yes to the sacred things. And we look at that today and we think, that's kind of goofy, isn't it? Yeah, but it's equally goofy that we do it today. We do the same thing today. It has persevered through the ages. Prayer is good. Sports is bad, right? We're tempted to do this. Prayer meetings are good. Parties are bad. Reading the Bible is good, but reading books it's bad. And all we've done is we've taken what the monks have done of old and we've tried to separate the secular and the sacred. But it's all sacred to God. You could do all of this to the glory of God. You could work to the glory of God. In fact, you should work to the glory of God. You could pay your bills to the glory of God. In fact, you should be paying your bills to the glory of God. You can watch a football game, if you're careful, to the glory of God. <laughs> right? Listen, you could drink a beer to the glory of God. If it's not a sin, you can do it to God's glory. If it's a sin, you cannot do it to God's glory. There is no separation between the secular and the sacred. God owns it all. It's all sacred to him. It's all sacred, right? It's tough for us to think on that way, though. Jesus is not suggesting that all activity stops. He's just suggesting where it should be placed. He's talking about priorities here. What he's basically saying in this through his interaction with Martha is, hey, It's easy for Martha and it's easy for us to take those things that are not important and putting them at the front of the bus, taking the things that are important and seating them in the back of the bus, saying yes to things that we should be saying no to and saying no to things that we should be saying absolutely to. You know, Peter Peter Drucker, who I've never quoted before from a pulpit, this is the very first time I've quoted him, he's a management consultant. So he works with leaders, he works with entrepreneurs, startups, um, management mostly. And he, he died a few years ago, but he, oh, he's real big on priorities, setting priorities, living by priorities, protecting priorities. But he also coined this word called posteriorities. <laughs> the things that you have resolved not to ever do. Not just things that you have resolved would be important, but things that you said, this will never be important. 
I think that's important for us today to hear because Martha's are fantastic at saying yes to 50 things and saying no to like one thing and then feeling horrible all day because they said no to that one thing, right? Because that's how we are. But no priorities means that nothing is protected. No priorities means that everything can take your time and everything will take your time. No priorities ignores the fact that we have finite boundaries to ourselves. So in effect, it's us saying that we're an infinite type of creature because we could just keep saying yes to every little good thing that comes our way, and you can't do that. Martha's are fantastic at grabbing bags with holes in them. And I know that might be an odd phrase. That's a phrase that was given to me in my second year of ministry by a much older and wiser pastor. He said, Luke, you're the type of guy that if you're not careful, you're going to grab a lot of bags with a lot of holes in them. And what is he saying in that? He's saying every little good thing to you, you feel like that's for you. So I said yes to every good little thing and said no to the best things. I was grabbing bags with holes in them. And I think a lot of us do the same thing. I had a pastor talk to me about this the other day, and I was telling him about a a situation that we were going through as a church and an idea I had. And he said, can I just stop you for a minute? It sounds a lot like sideways energy for you right now. It sounds like sideways movement. What's he saying? I'm grabbing yet another bag with yet another hole in it. I think this happens whenever we see a concern and we make it a responsibility. Concerns don't have to be responsibilities. Concerns can just exist as a concern. I'm concerned about that. Be concerned about it. But you don't have to own it as your own personal responsibility. Sometimes you do, but not every single time. Martha's have a hard time distinguishing which is a concern and which is a responsibility. So we just say yes to everything. We're very over busy and we're very, very distracted. Legitimate things. Even things for Jesus can stand in the way between you and the feet of Christ. So hear me, and I mean this statement too, even missions. Even missions can be a distraction. For some of you, preaching the gospel can be a distraction. Again, another cringe statement. Right? I'm going to explain. Warren Wearsby, who's a big hero of mine, he says this, he says, few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with him. The implication in this text right here is simply that Martha should labor less and listen more because the good portion that Mary is choosing is going to actually affect her life a lot longer and it's going to give her the better motives in the work that she does. So later on, Mary's doing work and Martha's doing work. They're coming from two different places and that makes a big difference. Paul actually talks about this a little bit in in a certain way and we're going to put it up on the screen. Don't turn there. Stay where you're at. But in 2 Corinthians 4... Paul is talking to the young church of Corinth, and he says this. So we do not lose heart, in verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, I sit at the feet of the eternal. I'm sitting at the feet of an eternal king, and he is renewing me day by day, day by day. My outsides are falling apart. The churches, to some degree, are falling apart. Lots is falling apart all around me. But but I'm being renewed day by day. How? 
He's found the feet of his king. So why is this so hard for us? We know what the better portion is. We know what the better portion is. Why don't we choose it? Why, why is it so, so much easier to become a Martha than it is a Mary? Why? I think there's two prime reasons. I'm going to give them both because I think they're either going to capture all of you or the majority of you, one or both of them. One reason is I think we're uncomfortable being passive and just receiving something for doing nothing. I think that makes a lot of us very uncomfortable. We want to serve. We want to wait tables. We want to do the Martha thing to show I'm doing good things. Now you should see me as a good person. We have to prove our love. We hate being still. We hate being quiet. We feel uncomfortable just getting things without giving something. That's why you've always felt uncomfortable receiving a gift where you didn't know there was going to be a gift swap. And you say, oh, but I didn't get you anything. That's what's going on inside of you. That's what's in all of us. God struggles with this, though. He struggles with our desire to prove our worth. In fact, he hates it. He came came to earth to crush it. And he did so by being crushed himself on the cross. All because he wanted to replace mankind working instead of God working. A lot of times we work and prove and sweat and strive because we don't think God has worked enough. So we have to recalculate the equation and put our work next to God's work. Then, then we're worthy. Then we have merit. That's how it works. But what it does is it ignores grace. The statement for you, the grace for you, if you do know Jesus and you do love Jesus, you're a son and a daughter of the king, the grace that rests on your shoulders is that, friends, you didn't choose the better portion. Another did. There was someone who did sit at the feet of his father flawlessly, choosing the better portion even when it cost him. And he took this perfect life and he gave it to you when you never chose the better portion. You never chose the good portion. You ran from God. We spit rebellion at God. We threw rocks at God. We didn't want anything to do with him. And grace is, is we get what we don't deserve, even though we would deserve the opposite of what we get. This is the grace visited to us. So how do we change from that? How do we change in, in these things? Now, we've been talking week by week by week as we've been going through this series on the four Gs, right? The four Gs, God is good, glorious, gracious, and great. Um, and some of you probably have those cards all around you. And it's been fun. I love this, this rubric that we've been using because it's very helpful. What we have to understand is that every sin that we commit, there's a lie behind it. Every sin in your life, there's a lie behind it. Really an accusation against God. And so to see what that lie is, deny that lie, turn away from it, and turn to the truth is just turning and trusting, repenting, and believing. It's really a very simple equation. We turn away from the lie, and we turn towards the truth. This is the lie we tell. God, surely you will like me more if I do more. I mean, come on. God, can you, let's be, let's be serious for a minute. There's no way I can just sit here, and you love me as much as if I wasn't sitting here. I mean, I know you love me when I'm just sitting here, Lord, but certainly you're going to love me more if I'm serving. If I'm waiting tables, I'm preaching the gospel, if I'm planting churches, whatever it is, surely you've got to love me more for doing that, right? That's the lie. The truth is, is that God is gracious, so we don't need to prove ourselves. Listen, even Jesus was tempted to be distracted. 
and to get overly busy. We know that. The Bible says that he was tempted in all ways we were tempted. Yet regarding sin, he never failed, right? But he was tempted to be distracted. In fact, in order for him to find the feet of his father, it cost him a lot. In order for Christ to find the feet of his father, people didn't get healed. People didn't eat. Read it in the Gospels. Jesus, we've been looking all over for you and we couldn't find you. Why? He's choosing the better portion. He's sitting at the feet of his father, abiding, nurturing his affections for God, dwelling, thinking, worshiping, and solitude. Right? This is part of what it means for Jesus to have lived a perfect life. This is part of what it means. A life without distraction, a life without being overly busy at all. And Jesus took this flawlessly lived life and he gave it to you and he gave it to me and our lives are deeply flawed. It's a beautiful truth. You have the, listen, you have credit applied to you of a life lived perfectly. So God looking at you forensically, in reality, when God sees you, he doesn't see one as, as a, a person who wastes their time, who's always distracted, is posting on 17 different streams of whatever. He sees someone who's always chosen the better portion. I can't get my mind around this for the life of me. That's how he sees us. How is that possible? A life was traded. It happened on the cross. It was a gift without your merit, without anything you could ever do to apply any merit or portion to that. God has done it for us. He's done it for us. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, it means that we can lay fallow. Fallow is just an agricultural term. It just means a field that's not going to produce that year because it didn't have seed invested in it. It's just going to rest. It's just going to rest. And when we lay fallow, it's a celebration of a work that God has already done. We can rest because another has worked. We can rest. Friends, listen. We can rest because another has worked. It's important for us. Usually Martha's, they struggle with even the Sabbath. Now, we preached about that not too long ago, so you can go back and listen to that one. But it's the same type of person. Same type of person. The strivers. Another reason is we're unconvinced that God actually meets our needs. So we just avoid him. We just avoid him. We might think a little bit like this much that God gives us what we need, but we really don't believe he gives us what we want. But we have a long list of things to do. I mean, Netflix does, right? Listen, Netflix, it's gotten to the place you don't even have to push any buttons anymore. I mean, on, on, if I use certain devices, it will just roll to the next episode if you just sit there. You don't even, it doesn't even require the, the 2.2 calories You'll burn to lift your arm and click a mouse. It just rolls. And isn't it tempting to go, what time is it? Yeah, one more. We'll just do one more. Netflix scratches that itch. Facebook scratches that itch. We have things that do meet those needs, that do give us what we really, really want. We're not convinced that Jesus does, though. That's the thinking behind it all. We say, in our minds, I could spend 30 minutes with Christ right now. Right now, I could spend 30 minutes with Jesus. Or 10 minutes, or, or an hour. Or I could spend the same amount of time pinning things, liking things, retweeting things, commenting, tagging, watching. Devotional boring. This fun. That hard. This easy. We're just not convinced that God is very good. So we go somewhere else. 
The truth is, God is good. And there's a big collision between the truth and the lie. The lie that we tell ourselves and the lie behind our sin is, God, you are not good, so you are to be escaped. You are to be escaped. The feet of, of you is someplace I cannot be right now. I need to be at the feet of that or the feet of this. But the truth is, is that God is good. So we don't need to look elsewhere. We, we can stop flipping over rocks. Isn't that what mankind has always done? Just kicking over rocks until we find something that scratches that itch, something that meets the need, and nothing ever does. Nothing ever does. Kevin DeYoung, in the book Crazy Busy, and by the way, I highly recommend that book. I think it's only been out for a couple years. I've read that rascal three times. It is a fantastic book for those who have a Martha-type leaning, okay? And he says this, and listen to the first sentence or you're going to miss the whole thing. The pursuit of personal devotions is one of the strongholds of legalism. Let me say that again. The pursuit of personal devotions is one of the strongholds of legalism. Anytime we talk about what we should do every day, we must make clear what Christ has already done. We can rest because he worked. We can lay down our prideful busyness because he laid down his life. We can keep coming back to him in the midst of our failures because he keeps all of his promises to us. And yet, he says, with all of that being true, and yet, few things demonstrate our devotion to Christ more than making time with him a priority each day. Few things demonstrate it more than that. Well, how much time, Luke? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Your time might not look like my time. I say start somewhere. Five minutes. Start somewhere. I'd rather have five undistracted minutes at the feet of my king than 60 very, very, very distracted minutes, if you know what I mean. Well, what do I do in that time? What do you do when you find yourself nurturing your affections for the Lord? Some of you are writers. Some of you journal and write, and it's beautiful, and I can't do that. I've got about seven journals in my library, and all of them are blank except for the first page. That symbolizes seven great attempts and seven, you know, honest tries. I just, I'm not a journal. I, I struggle with it. That's why I'm not a blogger today. That's why none of you have read my blogs, because I don't have one. Not a good journal. Some of you, it's just about praying. You love to pray. Some of you, you love to read. Some of you are musicians. Some of you, you find yourself on your face. Some of you, you need to go take a walk. We're created so differently. Sitting at the feet of Jesus might look a little different. Some of you might be locked into what you've been told your whole life you should be doing, you have to be doing. I'm not so sure. Again, that's a different sermon. But sitting at the feet of eternity, it makes all of our petty problems and our big fat to-do lists seem a little bit insignificant, or at least less significant. It also makes the way people see you also less significant. We become less infatuated with checking our inbox. We become less, I guess, less convinced that true wisdom just posted 22 seconds ago, right? We become less convinced that the best idea we've ever heard is not on a TED Talk, but comes from the depth of a deep king from the ancient of days. We become convinced that the crevices of our heart are ministered to by a benevolent king and not the next episode. You see, what it does, it does some things to community too. I want to talk about that just for a little bit. It does some things to community. Because whenever you find yourself at the feet of Jesus and you find yourself at a place where you're deeply known and, and you deeply know back and forth, 
then you don't require that from every living person. Listen, there's a lot of people that are bouncing from churches, a lot of people that are bouncing from group to group or whatever, looking for the perfect people that will give them what they need and know them deeply. A lot of times, they've not spent any time at the feet of Jesus, and they're not satisfied being deeply known by him alone. So they start, instead of investing in groups, they start requiring from groups. Well, I can't find a church I like. Well, did you serve? Did you invest? No, they just weren't like me. They couldn't meet my needs, basically. Friend, find the feet of Jesus. You could, you, you could stop the rat race. You're never going to find a church like that. It's not going to happen. We have some communal situations. One is, is that Martha and Mary's they annoy each other. <laughs> they do. Martha complaining and Mary sitting. Martha complaining. Notice Jesus listens to her but doesn't do what she says. He says, make her get up and help. And he doesn't do it. Can you just see it? She just burned herself in the kitchen, working hard, because no one was in there to help her. Soup all over her. She put on her nice shoes because Jesus was there, but now they're ruined too. She's all sweating all over yourself like you do when you're over the stove. Stinks now. And she's trying to fumble her way through the double metal doors with, with just trays full of whatever. And what does she see? Mary. Mary. Just sitting there. Not helping not even concerned. And what is our diagnosis as, Mar- as Martha's when we see the Marys of the world, the, the Marys in this room? Lazy. They're lazy, right? Hey, listen, maybe they are. Maybe they need to hear what the gospel says about work. Again, that's a different sermon, but it is one that needs to be taught. The gospel says a lot about hard, hard work. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's that your heart is exposed. Maybe you feel a little bit ashamed and embarrassed that someone chose the better portion and it wasn't you again. Because I find a lot of times when I'm upset with the Marys of the world, it's because my heart's being exposed. I secretly wish I could be one. I secretly wish I would have chose the better portion. Another communal situation we find ourselves in is that Martha's desperately need help seeing what they struggle to see. Do you have people that you're doing life with right now that are addicted to diversion, especially in social media? You know who I'm talking about. These are the people that are so busy, incredibly busy, super duper busy, and have time for a lot of the things that you're trying to do, yet they are blowing Facebook up. They are posting like crazy. Are you able to help that person? Can you discern what they're hunting down? Are they looking for image? Are they looking for identity? Are they escaping? Are they finding comfort? I mean, how's your fluency in the gospel? Are you able to show them where where God is actually better? He's actually greater. He's actually more glorious, and he can actually come in and replace that thing and more. I mean, you're able to do that in love. It's difficult, isn't it? Can you speak to that person? No, Luke, I can't. Well, then you need to develop a fluency that can help the people in your community. Or else you're just going to look at them and go, Martha, Martha, always so busy, always so distracted. It does some things for our mission, too. Listen, the only thing that's more important than ministry is being ministered to. That's a quick thing you ought to remember. You ought to staple that to your brain. The only thing more important than ministry is being ministered to. I truly mean that. We are a missional church. We love the city of Knoxville. We love those who walk around with no king in their life, no grace experienced, no Holy Spirit inside of them. 
we love this city. We love your mission field, which is this city, your cubicle, your home, your neighborhood, your pub, your gym. It's all our mission field, and we're excited about it. But I am convinced, I'm resolved and convinced that what makes mission powerful, what makes mission healthy, are the moments that we stop and sit that we have our own affections for the Lord nurtured as He ministers to us. That's even more important. It's hard for us to believe this, isn't it? I struggled with this even up until just a few years ago, and I still struggle today. But talking on the phone with another pastor who was my coach, he stopped me in mid-sentence where I was, I don't even know what I was talking about, but he said, Luke, listen, listen, just listen. The Lord is just as interested in ministering to you right now than the whatever many people are in your church body. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe that because the math doesn't work. There's no way that's true. There's so many more people that, that we are ministering to that certainly God's more interested in that. No, no, he doesn't need you for that. He could find somebody else. He can, God doesn't need us for that. He's just as interested in ministering to you. And I find that when I recognize daily how broken and dependent I am, how needy, how scandalous, how rebellious I am, and I meditate on the grace of my King towards me, I sit and I fixate on God's wise word, then and only then am I able to be a healthy missionary. That's the only, thing, it's the only time I'm worth anything to you or, or anyone else. It's the difference between living on mission because you have to or because you want to. Some of you, you want to be good missionaries, and you strive to preach the gospel well, and you fail at being merry and choosing a better portion. Let me tell you, it won't, it won't succeed. You will get burned out. It won't be effective. It's more important to be ministered to than to minister. It is out of God's ministry to us that our ministry even makes sense to people. It's the truth. It's the truth. That's why I said earlier, mission may be a distraction. Mission may be a distraction. If you have 30 minutes to spend, and you can either be at a laundromat telling people about Christ, or you could be alone at the feet of your king. Choose the better portion. Choose the better portion. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand up. I'm going to chop the last part of this off, and we're going to go straight into worship. And as we worship, some of you, you might be new here, or this might be a little bit unfamiliar. What's going to happen is, is the team is going to come back up, and they're going to lead us through uh, a set, and the lights are going to be a little bit darker than they are now, I think, and then there'll be tables at the back with juice and with, bro- and with bread, right? And what that does is it, it's a symbol for us, but it's also a rally point for us. It's like a family dinner. It's one where we come and we, we gather together in plurality, and we share a memorial and an image of what God has done for us and what he is preparing for us at a banqueting table in the future. So that's all part of our worship experience, okay? And that's going to be going on as the song is going on. But I want you to think about someone choosing a better thing and it not being you. Not being you. You see, the, the, a good pastor, their biggest fear is everyone leaving and immediately thinking, I must do something. Look what I need to do. Use this time to focus on what God has done for you. Not what you must do for him, but what he has done for you. This is a beautiful time for us to sit at his feet. I know we're not alone. I get that. 
but to just to sit at his feet, to ask him, Lord, I don't even know what to do, but can you teach me on how to nurture my affections for you? I, I don't love you like I want to love you, but I know you can teach me how. Lord, I know you accept me like I am right now. Help me be comfortable in my skin in this moment. Teach me what it means. I mean, the Lord will talk to you. You can come to him expecting to hear from him. Ask him questions and expect for him to speak to you. Expect for him to be clear with you. Be specific with him when you pray. Make it a real dialogue. Let me pray for you.